0: right, good morning. Uh, That is what it's all about right there. Uh, Whether you're joining us here in person or you're watching with us online, we're thankful that you're here. Uh, And man, we just love to see gospel-centered transformation, hearts being transformed, lives being changed. Uh, It's what we're all about. It's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, It's all that we talk about every single week uh, because we study the Word of God every week. And so I want you to take out your Bible, turn to the book of Acts chapter 21. Uh, We're going to start in verse 27 in in just a moment, and I'll just kind of tell kind of the story of the rest of the book, or the rest of the chapter of of Acts chapter 21, and then we'll look at the first couple of verses together of Acts chapter 22. Uh, So if you don't have a Bible, uh, the words will be on the screen, but we'd love to give you one. Uh, If you just don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to just take a free copy in the lobby there. Are a bunch of Bibles out there. You can take that. Um, And and if you're at home, you don't have a Bible, you would like for us to send you one, we would be more than willing to do that as well. We want everybody to have God's Word. Uh, And so it is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Single Awareness Day. Uh, If you are not in a relationship, Um, I know that Valentine's Day can be a fantastic day of celebrating love, but it can also be a day that just reminds you you want to be able to celebrate love. Uh, And it can be a very hard day. And I'll pray for all of us in just a moment uh, when it comes to that, because I also, on a very serious note, know that there are a lot of relationships that are struggling, a lot of marriages that are hurting. Uh, And so I want to be sensitive to that as well. But happy Valentine's Day. Um, And as we get into God's word, we're getting towards the end of the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Acts, it it is certainly less well known than the beginning portions of the book of Acts. Uh, when When we're looking at Acts and we're looking at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and him saying he's sending the power of the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in the believers of those who place their faith in him and the fact that he's done all of the work for them to have salvation. And then the church just explodes as the apostles go out on ministry and mission, and, and people are coming to faith, and then they're going where they live, work, play to share the faith of Christ, and just the church is growing all around the world, and just it's so exciting to see how God works through the early church. And then you get to the end of the book of Acts, and it's way less talked about. Um, it's Paul really going through the struggle at the end of his life of really giving a defense for his faith. Uh, of him saying this is the the apologetic of who I am and the ministry that I have lived out and he gives us five different speeches that that lay way for us to see the defense of his faith how he lays out for those that would persecute him why it is so important that his life is founded on the truth of Jesus Christ and his life death and resurrection why it's worth living all of his life for whatever may remain of it, and why it's worth dying to live as Christ and die as gain, as Paul would say. And so we get this very special moment where we see Paul just give this powerful, encouraging, yet challenging. And I think every single one of us this morning will be challenged and encouraged. Uh, Also an inspiring look at the defense that he gives for his faith, why he believes what he believes, why we can trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get some insight into that. How, How do we live out our faith? How do we live out our faith in the most powerful, effective way? How can we be a part of everything that we've talked about in the book of Acts? Just seeing the church explode and the gospel go forth and people coming to faith and people following in believers' baptism and and being a part of the family of God. How do we participate in this unending movement? And Paul begins to give us some insight into that, and, and it's just so beautiful. And so I want us to be able to get into it, but let's pray. Let's pray first. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together. I pray, Father, that you would just speak directly to us. We, we know that we long to hear from you, whether we realize it or not, God. You, you have the only words we desire to hear. You have the only truth that is transforming in the way that we were created to live. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak directly to us this morning. Whatever is going on in our lives, I pray that you would uh, allow us to hear from you. I pray that you would speak directly to those things this morning. God, as as the word as your word is proclaimed all around our city, we just lift our, our city up and, the, and your people, the church, God. We pray that as your gospel truth goes forward, that it would just hover over our city, that it would have a, a transforming power as we are sent out from this place to go where you have called us to be, to be a people you've called us to be, and God, to share our faith everywhere that we go, that many people may come to know you and we may experience the joy of doing what you've called us to do. God, for those of of us that are in relationships today, I pray that we would reveal love today through the love that we have in you, that that we would reveal the gospel love that you have given to us in our relationships. And for those of us that might be hurting because of today, that, that might be struggling with today, God, I pray that you would just reveal a peace and a comfort to their hearts that surpasses all understanding, and that they would deeply understand that the love that they long for can only be found in you and not in a relationship with a human being. And God, I pray that we would be deeply aware of that today. And so, Lord, we love you. We give this time to you. We ask that everything would glorify and honor you, and you would speak to us, and that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So as we've been walking through the book of Acts and as we get to the end, this is really the ending portion is really best heard all at once. Um, And obviously, we don't have time to do that. Most of you probably think we don't have the time to do what I do every week. Um, And and so we don't have time to do that. But we do need to be aware of what's happened over the last several weeks, especially last week, to understand this passage. Um, So I want to do a little bit of a recap if you haven't been here. Over the last couple of weeks, it's okay. You'll be caught up. Um, and this is just a good reminder for all of us. This is something that we need to be aware of keenly to understand what's happening here. All right. And so last week, we actually saw Paul finish his, his third missionary journey. And and that's basically kind of sums up the vast majority of Paul's mission, were these three missionary trips that he took. The first two he traveled around, but the third one he actually stayed in Ephesus. God supplied for him a, a place there where he could teach and preach, and people would come from all over Asia to learn, and then he would send them back out. And it actually had a much greater effect on the, the growth of the gospel and understanding of the truth when he did it in this way than when he traveled everywhere and did all the work. And in, in Ephesus, we see that people would come to him, he would teach, he would disciple, they would be sent out, and they would go back and they would teach and disciple, and the word of God spread like wildfire. All the way to the point in just three years, it says that everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Not that they responded and received Christ, but they understood the gospel. They understood that God had come and lived for them, that he had died on the cross to pay the penalty of their sin and risen from the grave. And in that resurrection, we have new life by grace. And the Spirit is afforded to those who believe to to understand the truth and to live in its power, to know who we are and know what to do. And all of Asia heard that. And so I just I say that just to say that as we encourage you every single Sunday, as we gather together to be sent out and scattered all across our community, and we say at the end of the service, you are sent. We're not just saying that to be cute. We're saying that because we understand what God has called us to, and we understand that God uses every single one of his believers. Listen to me. What God wants to do In his world, he wants to do through all of his people. He calls every single one of us to be missionaries, wherever you are. Some, it might be to go overseas. Some, it might be just to get up and go to work every day and do it well and reveal him there. For some, it might be that we take our kids to the park. Whatever it may be, God has called you and equipped you to be exactly where you are with the experiences that you have to reveal Him to a people that those people may go out and reveal Him to those in their lives. And this is how we see the early church happen. The gospel spreads through the people of God, not some sort of loose entity, but the church is a people, it is a body. And so we see Paul finish this third missionary journey. Paul knows that God's called him to Jerusalem. He wanted to get back for Passover, but he actually isn't able to. He gets back uh, right about the time of of Pentecost and that feast, and we'll see that in just a few moments. But he knows God's called him to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. So he doesn't know how he's going to get there, but he knows that it's going to be hard the, the church had, had discovered that Paul would be persecuted. He would be beaten and chained if he went to Jerusalem. And, and Paul understood that as well, but he knows that he has to get there. And we began to see Paul lay out this, this path for us to be able to clearly understand and more and more clearly understand what God has actually called us to do, how we make decisions in, in life, how we discover the will of God. And and I know we just barely scratched the surface, and we could spend a whole we could have a whole series on discovering the will of God in our lives and what God has called us to do. I understand that, um, but I do want us to remember because we see it with Paul that clarity in everything we are called to begins with understanding who we are in God that we were created to have community and oneness with him. Our sin separated us from him, but God came and lived perfectly on our behalf. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. He rose to give us new life in Christ that we might be made new in him and brings us back into unity with him by sending the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us so that we might understand who we are and who we were created to be. And listen to me, you cannot know what you are supposed to do until you know who you are. You cannot know who you are until you know what is actually true. And so what we see with Paul is he understands who he is in the truth of God. That sets his direction on everything. There is a central main focus, and that is Christ. That's who he is in Christ. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is doing in him. And so that gives clarity to everything else in his life. And I really want us to understand this. This is so freeing for us that when we understand what is most important, we understand and begin to have clarity on things that are less important that should only be pointing to him. It it unmuddies the waters. It puts the proper weight on other things in our lives. And and I want us to understand this because I see it all the time. We get so caught up on things that the world tells us we should find ourselves in. We lose sleep over, we're asking God to help us with this decision and that decision, which aren't even ultimately what we are called to and what brings uh, him glory and us joy. And, and I gave the example last week in the first service, I don't think I did it in here, that if you were born 150, 200 years ago, all right, like guess what you would have done for a career? Like most of you, what your parents did, what your grandparents did. Where would you live You would live on the corner of a lot that your great, 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 great granddaddy got, right? You would just build a house there. You know where you would go to school? The school, right? You know who you would marry? Like the single person that you've known since you were five, (laughs) all right? And and I don't think in any of that, I just want to, I know it's humorous, but I just want to give us a little bit of freedom this morning. I don't think in any of that, God was sitting up there going, ah, they're making all the wrong decisions. They're not doing the right job. They're not marrying the right person. They're not living in the right place. Man. Now, see, God has called us, and if God clearly lays something on your heart, a place to be, a thing to do, like with Paul, you do that. But if not, God has called us to keep our eyes on him, and it gives clarity to the other things and what we do with them how we give glory to him, it it begins to change the way we view why we have the other things that we have, the decisions and why we have decisions that we have and what we're trying to accomplish with the decisions that we have, that they're all for his glory. And it begins to make clear the other things of life and proper weight is put on the other things of life. And and so Paul demonstrates to us that though this will be hard, I know what God has called me to do. My eyes are centered on him. And so I don't question whether I'm supposed to go just because there's a circumstance that would be less than something I would desire. I know what God has called me to do. Therefore, I understand the weight that I need to put on the understanding that I will suffer when I get there. I have to go and I'm thankful that God's preparing my heart for it. And, and we see Paul lay this out in, in this beautiful way that clarity begins with Christ. And, and if you're uncertain of what you're, you're needing to do in life, you're kind of unclear on what God has called you to do, it all begins with looking to him first. It all begins with finding yourself in who he says you are. It all begins with the Spirit living in, in, in the life of the believer, pointing us towards the truth of what God has said, his faithfulness to deliver all that he said he will do, and us to honor him and give glory to him in everything we are with all that we have. That will begin to bring clarity to everything else. It's the truth of our salvation, and it allows us to understand what is most important. And this is very important for us to know as we see Paul in our text today. Because Paul is doing something because he is seeking to not waste a single opportunity or a single moment of his life for what is most important. So come what may, I know what is most important, therefore I know what to do. And we see him do that here in his sharing of his faith. And he wants to take maximum opportunity of everything that comes into his life. And I want us to be a people who do that, who don't waste any, who leverage everything we have and everything we are for the glory of God. We see that with Paul in this amazing way. So, so in the midst of last week, he knows he has to go to Jerusalem, even though the church doesn't want him to. He gets there, and what he discovers is that the, the Israelite people, or some of the Jewish church, some of them were excited. Remember, he gets together with, his, with James, the half-brother of Jesus. They're telling all the stories of what God has done on the journey, and James tells all the thousands of people who have come to faith in Jerusalem, and they're really pumped. But then James says, hey, listen— there are a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people in the church who are zealous for the law. And they believe that you are teaching that, that we don't, uh, should not per- participate in the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws. And they're pretty upset about this. And so what Paul discovers quickly is is what, is what we kind of all struggle with in life. We've talked about this before. But all of religion is this, all philosophy of life is this, all ideologies that we, that we chase after outside of the grace of God are like this. Uh, we live naturally in this two-way street mentality. And so we think to ourselves that if I do these things, then these things should come back to me. This is the way we function. And so if I do really well in school, I should get this good grade. If I don't, it's the teacher's fault. If I do really well at work, then I should get this raise. And if I don't, it's not because I did something wrong. Like, I deserve it. And if I don't get it, I didn't get what I deserve, right? And we do this with God as well. If I, if I do all of these things, then God owes me this, this blessing. And if I don't get the blessing, I must not have done well enough. Or I have the right to get mad at God because I deserve something from him. This is the way that we function. It's a two-way street. This is what religion is. And so they feel like they have to participate in the ceremonial law so that God will bless them. And Paul understands, and what he preaches is a a one-way street, a one-way love, that God has done everything that is required for salvation and truth by His grace and through His work, that we place our faith in Him, and by His grace we are saved and made new, and we can still participate in ceremonies. We still do live under the moral law that God has set before us. Because that's the pathway to freedom and to glorifying God and giving him honor. It's a privilege and an honor to, to walk in the way that God has created us to walk when we're in unity with him. And so the law for an unbeliever, it points to the reality that we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do on that, on that two-way street to be good enough to where we deserve God's blessing, his salvation. But when we place our faith in Christ, we see the law as the pathway to freedom. It's the, it's the joy that we desire to walk in. Paul understands that, that Christ once and for all paid the penalty of our sin on the cross and through his resurrection. So we don't have to participate in ceremonial laws, but he's not preaching, hear me, he's not preaching that the Jewish people cannot walk in those traditions. They just need to understand what they are. We can still be a people of tradition, but we need to understand that tradition doesn't equal salvation. We can't impose that on others. This is the problem that they're having. And so James comes up with this idea. He says, hey, we've got these four guys. They're going through a Nazarite vow. It was probably a 30-day vow. They're getting towards the last week of that. Why don't you participate in that with them? Just show the people that you care about them, that you love them, that we have unity in Christ. James understands that Christ is the only salvation, but he's saying, hey, do this for unity. Paul agrees Listen, because Paul will not, and I want us to to see this, we didn't talk about this last week, Paul will not enslave himself to anything but Christ. Now, I see this a lot in the church today, that we will either either enslave ourselves to our freedoms, or we will enslave ourselves to our traditions. And so we have a lot of people who would think, I'm free to do this or not do this, I'm, I'm free in Christ. But they're so stuck on that freedom that they would never do anything that might even give an inkling of an iota of anything to anybody that would think that they are not free not to do or to do something. So they live on that freedom. And so they're not willing to bend at all to love the person who who, uh, Paul would call the weaker brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So they just live on that freedom. What happens is they're enslaved to the freedom that they have. On the other side... You have somebody that's like, we have to do these things, like these traditions, these ceremonial laws for them, these sacrificial laws, like we must do them. And they're enslaved to the ceremonial law. They're enslaved to the tradition. Christ sets us free from those things to walk in freedom, but to participate in traditional things if they draw us or point us to him. But we have to understand in those things that they are not leading us to salvation and they are not required for salvation. So Paul is not going to be enslaved to his freedom or to tradition. He's going to walk in the love of the gospel truth. And therefore, he is willing to be all things to all men that that some may come to know Christ. Outside of sinning, Paul will do anything for people to know who Jesus is. So for the sake of unity... And for discipleship, to be able to walk with these brothers, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, he participates in this vow. And in verse 27, we pick up on the last seven days of this vow. And what you would do there is that you would go into the temple and you would cleanse yourself and you would set up with the temple the time for the sacrifices to come and be made. So Paul is with these other brothers. He's doing this. The temple is, is uh, they're, they're coming in to complete the vow and to prepare what will have to happen the next week. And while he's there, all right, follow along with me in, in the text. We're not going to read this part just for the sake of time. But while he's there, some of the Jewish men, it says, from Asia. And this is why it's important for us to understand that he had missed Passover, but it's around the day of Pentecost. So lots of people, Jewish people from all over the world, have descended upon Jerusalem. They're worshiping in the temple. So a lot more people there than usual. And some of the Jewish men who are zealous for the law in Asia, so where Paul was in in Ephesus, so they've heard of Paul, right? They're aware of his teaching. Some of them, they see Paul there and they kind of start shoulder bumping the people around them, pretty crowded in the, in the temple, in the Israelite court. So they start shoulder bumping and they're like, that's the guy. Like that's the, that's Paul. That's the one. And look what they say. I love this because when we get really upset with people and angry at people and begin to have bitterness and hatred in our heart go towards people, we like to generalize them in the worst possible lights, don't we? Like, look what they say. That's the guy. That's Paul. That's the one who's teaching to everyone, everywhere, all of the time against the law. Like, let's get really upset at him because he is never getting it right. Like, he's wrong all the time. He's against us. So this is what they're doing because this bitterness, and listen, this is what bitterness will do in our hearts. It will cause us to hate one another. It will cause us to look at one another and think and assume the worst, So they start getting the whole crowd riled up, right? And this riot begins to happen. And I know that if you've been with us throughout the book of Acts, you're thinking, riots and acts. I mean, they just like go together, man. Like how easy was it back in the first century to start a riot? And the truth is, it was very easy because they would have to come together in crowds of people to get information. And therefore, it was very easy to stir crowds up and and to cause riots. We still do the same thing today. We just use the internet, and we like for things to go viral and ideas to be viral and then for the arguments to ensue. So we still do the same thing, same hearts. We just have different paths of pulling them out and revealing them. But in verse 28, this is, this is the kicker for what sets the tone here for what's about to happen to Paul. In verse 28, they say, uh, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I don't know, but who cares about truth? We're just mad. I'm pretty sure that he brought a Gentile into the temple because I saw him walking around with Gentiles earlier, and let's just assume that if he was walking around with them earlier, they're definitely with him now, right? And so we saw him bring a Gentile into the temple, which was a lie. Like, Paul knows better than this. Like, in the, at the temple, you would have the temple, and then you have a court right around the temple that was for Israelite men only. Then you have another court that was for Israelite women, and then another court for the Gentile. Everybody could go into that. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, even tells us that all around the gate that separated the Gentile temple from the Israelite women's temple, there were signs up that essentially just said that if you are a Gentile and you cross this gate, then you are responsible for your death. And that gives us a little insight into what they're about to try to do with Paul because they believe he brought a Gentile in. They have rights in their mind to take his life. And, and so Paul would never do that. He understands this, but they assume that Paul did this because they're so upset with him. And so they, they're, they're not as interested in truth. They just want to kind of squash something that they feel is against them. All right, so Paul's really misunderstood here. And we need to see that to see the beauty in the way that he responds. But listen, we will be misunderstood in life. And there's certainly a time that we will do things that are wrong, and it needs to be called out. Sin needs to be pointed out. We need to walk together in truth and love and grace uh, and forgiveness, not to build up bitterness and hate in our hearts. That's not something that believers do. Believers do not respond to people in this way where we just assume things, where we just hear something and believe it. But we seek out the truth. We seek to love. We seek to build up. We understand that we were saved by grace. And therefore, when we look at other people, we don't see anything in their life of what they have done or a decision they have made as a defining thing for them because there is always salvation and forgiveness in Christ. And by his grace, they can be made new. So we love and we point to God in all things. And there will be times that we have to point different things out and, hey, that's wrong. We need to walk in this way. And we do so in the right ways in love. That should be a defining characteristic of the church. It's not always, but it should be. But we also should not just assume things, and and Paul here definitely was misunderstood. They definitely did not understand what Paul was actually preaching. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, if you are great, you will be misunderstood. Uh, Let me just tell you, if you exist, you will be misunderstood. Like, you will be lied about. You will be tempted to lie about Right? And so for all of us who have sinful hearts, these are things that we have to watch out for. And as believers, we should desire, as I said, to love people to the truth. So love people first. And, and, and yes, if there's smoke, there is a fire. But, but don't assume it's not arsony, Because we love to just put people down. We love to kick them while they're down. We love to see people fall so that we can feel better about ourselves and the world that we live in. So understand the truth. If you know the person, talk to them. If you don't, get good news. Understand what's happening. And don't ever slander. Don't ever gossip. Always desire that people be transformed in the gospel truth. So here they falsely accuse him. So they grab Paul because he's in the temple with a Gentile, supposedly. They drag him out of the the part of the temple that Israelite men could go into. They cannot beat him or kill him there. So they drag him out and they're beating him and they're seeking to kill him. Now, let me just tell you just a little bit of insight here. Religion outside of the grace of God. So all religious paths, all two-way streets, they will make you a fool. Like these guys here are so zealous for the law that says thou shalt not murder that they're willing to murder someone they think is speaking against the law. Like, is that not just crazy? Is it not what we see religion and philosophies of life do things to people? So, So here they're dragging him out. They want to beat him. The tribune gets word Because they're right next to the temple. And so the commander of the tribune, Claudius Lysias, he comes running down with men. Claudius Lysias would have been in charge of about a thousand men. The Antonia Fortress was right there next to the temple where the commander and these Roman soldiers would be. It uh, gave them a little bit of a position at the temple to kind of control a lot of what was happening with the Israelite people as a lot of Jewish people would gather together at the temple. So they were right there, two stories up. They could overlook everything and a thousand men could be on you like that. Um, and the ruins of the Antonia um, Antonio uh, Fortress are still there today. You can see them, um, but but that's where they were. So they come running down and they stop everything that's happening. And there's a lot of confusion, it says. Like some people are saying this, some people are saying that. Like they don't even know why they're mad at Paul. Uh, This happens a lot of times in our lives. So Claudius commands that he be put in chains. He's going to get to the bottom of it. He takes them to the barracks. They have to carry Paul up because of the beating that he has taken. And while they're carrying him up the two flights of stairs, the whole crowd is saying, away with him. And if we had time this morning, I would love for us, and I would challenge you to read through this text and just pick out all the similarities to what's happening with Paul in Jerusalem and what happened with Jesus in Jerusalem. Unreal the similarities there. But they're saying, away with him. They want him to be killed. But look at how Paul responds. He's been falsely accused. He's been physically beaten. There's some emotional pain here because he's, put yourself in this place. Like you're misunderstood. Like I'm not teaching these things. Like, this isn't, and I just want you so desperately to know that this is the truth, that Christ is the truth, that that he's everything that we were created to know and to have, and he's our salvation, and he points us to the truth. He gives us the power to live in the reality that we were created to live in. I just want you to know that. Why can't you understand that? So he's been physically beaten. He's falsely accused. He's emotionally misunderstood, and for many of us, like, this is lash-out time. Are you like, this is against my rights? I've got rights. Like, what are you doing here? Like, that's not even what I was doing. You're falsely accused. Like, we would want to do all of those things to get ourselves back on the right track. But look what he does. He's polite and respectful. Blows my mind the things that Paul does. He says, Hey, can I speak with you? He respects the person that he doesn't have to, he gives honor to a position he owes no allegiance to. And the commander's surprised. He's like, Do you speak Greek? Paul speaks to him in his language, and when he says, Can I speak to you? And he's confused, and we get this kind of humorous part here. He thinks that Paul is an Egyptian assassin. I, I mean, like, you can't make this stuff up. Right? And he's like, Wait, you're not the Egyptian assassin? And so I did some digging here. You can actually read about this in history. Three years before Claudius uh, Lysias is talking to Paul, there was an Egyptian assassin who led 4,000 men of assassins. And what they would do is they would get in these big political arenas where thousands of people would be gathered, and they would use daggers just to kill people to make a political point. And at one point, three years before Paul is talking here, he, the leader of the assassins took everybody up on the Mount of Olives and claimed that he had a vision from God that they were going to take over Jerusalem, that it was going to fall like Jericho fell. And then, of course, Rome kind of had a different idea. They come up and take everybody out except for the leader of the, of the assassins. He got away. And so what we see here is Claudius trying to kind of close a cold case. He's like, I'm just hoping you're the Egyptian assassin. Like, that would be big brownie points for me. But Paul's like, no, 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 I'm a Jew. And I'm from a notable city. And then he asks them, because I'm a Jew, can I speak to my people? And Claudius allows him to do so. And so here's Paul. He's just gone through all of this to get to what he has ultimately desired and longed for his whole life. And I want us to just understand, I don't want to gloss over this, that everything that God has done in your life. Some of it might be really hard. It could have caused a lot of pain, emotional, physical, stress, pain, failure, things that one day God will completely wipe away and make all things completely new when you're with him for all of eternity. But everything in your life, every place that you have been, everything God has allowed to happen in your life has prepared you for everything that God has called you to do to give him glory and honor in all situations, and it will bring you the most joy. See, Paul's about to do the hardest thing he's ever done in his life, and he, it brings him joy to do it. It's a completion of what he feels like God has actually called him to do. So he asks if he can speak. And, and do you guys remember when Paul said, Hey, I would give my own life. May my life be a curse if my people, the Israelite people, would come to know Christ. Like his longing, his desires for his people to know Jesus and look what's happening here. Now, because of all that's gone, that he's just gone through, he is standing over and in front of all of these Israelite people from all over the world who have come to Jerusalem for worship. And now he has the opportunity to address them. And he gives the defense for his faith. He gives the reasoning for why he finds his life in Christ And it says he's got a captive audience. He steps out, and he kind of motions the crowd, and Claudius helps them, and everything just kind of quiets down, and then he speaks to them in Aramaic, the language that would be the most common language of the group. They would all have different languages from different places, and Aramaic was kind of the general language that people would speak so that when they came together, they could communicate. So he stands up and speaks to them in Aramaic, and they get even quieter, it says, and I just want us to think just for a moment. I, I want you to follow along, and I did it in the last service. I did it in this service, too. I, I'm not leaving enough time to actually read uh, Acts 22. I want you to follow along in it. We won't read it just for the sake of time. But, but I want us to think about this. Here is Paul's shot. Like, this is what he's wanted. I want my people to know Christ. And now he's got this chance to, to give his defense in front of all of these people from all over the world who are Israelite people, what does he say? How does he use this moment? What, what, how can he be most effective? How can he present it with the most power? Like he knows it's not up to him. Like Christ is going to be the one who saves and transforms lives. But man, how do I live the most effectively I can? And I love how he starts out. He says, brothers and fathers. So he just tries to relate to them. He doesn't say accusers jerks. You're all going to hell for this. He doesn't say any of that. He wants to relate to them. He says, hey, I'm one of you. And and the beauty of what he does, like see, he could have combined and, and kind of brought the Old Testament and how the New Testament Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people zealous for the law. He could have done that. He could have started on this apologetic track of the sciences and philosophy and here's how we know God exists and why you should believe Jesus is the God and he could have done that. And those things are important. We should study those things. We should learn in those areas. We should be familiar with that. He could have quoted a bunch of scripture and walked through uh, Romans before it was even written and and just kind of said, hey, here's all the ways that you can know that you have placed your faith in Jesus. Like he could have done that. But here's what he does. When he wants to be most effective, When he wants to do it with the most power, when his heart is most broken for the people that he is speaking to, he just gives his story. He just tells us his testimony. He says, this is who God is, and I want you to know he has transformed my life. And listen, when it comes down to us asking ourselves the question, how do we most effectively live in the way that God has called us to when we focus on what is ultimately true? How do we, with the most power, reveal that God is ultimate and life-changing and transforming and He is everything that we were created for? How do we with our one shot, how do we the most purposely with the most intent share that Jesus is everything and clarity begins with him? I want you to understand apologetics. Great. Philosophy. Great. Understanding the Bible. We need to. But the most powerful way that you can share your faith is to share your story of God's transformation in your heart. And, and this is what Paul does. I've got this one chance, and my defense will be to reveal Christ in and through me. Listen to me. The reason that he does this is because it's simple. Like, he doesn't have to remember anything. It's, it's him. It's happened to him. So it, it's not like, well, I memorized all these verses last week, and I, I got, I got through them with somebody. But this week, I can only remember like half of them. So obviously, I can't share my faith this week. Right? It's simple. It's his story. It's reproducible. It, it's understandable. Everybody relates to it. It's relatable. Listen, every single time that you have a conversation that's, that's past the weather, you are trying to get to know somebody and they're trying to get to know you. And so it's relatable to us to tell our stories. We always do it. The, the question is not, do we tell our story? The question is, what does our story get to? Is it about you and the things of the world? Or is it about Christ and his transformation of you? And so our stories are always told, they're understandable, they're relatable. We do it in every arena of life and therefore it's not awkward to do, it's not awkward to share our story. It's something that we always are doing and, and it's something that people like to hear and to listen to. It doesn't feel abrasive. It doesn't feel like it's pressing on anybody. It's telling them of who Christ is and revealing his, his glory and his greatness and his truth through what he has done in you. So it actually gives an irrefutable evidence that points to the work of Christ. So listen, we, as we have seen all throughout the book of Acts, the church just exploding. How do we get on this unending movement? What is God calling us to do? What is the most effective way that we can? And I just want to challenge you that it is to begin to share who Christ is in you as you share with people who you are. Do you define yourself in him? Does he define who you are, therefore you know what to do? Does, he, does his truth what guides you in everything? Are you? Are you using all that you are for his glory and is your joy found in that? Because if so, then God has put people in your life who are far from him but close to you. And by them getting to know you, they will be getting to know him. And maybe the gospel will transform them. Is this the way that we're living out? How do we publicly share our faith with boldness, with authenticity? How can it be impactful and powerful? It's your story. It's his story through you. Now, when we typically share our faith, I get it. The last thing you want to come to church to outside of uh, and hear about outside of money is, is evangelism, just is. Like, as soon as the pastor gets up and says, hey, today we're going to talk about evangelism, and I'm going to encourage you, write a name down on a piece of paper And this week, and you're just like, man, I shouldn't have come today. Because, like, I'm not going to do it. Like, I get that. Like, I've been in this game long enough to know when I talk about this, boom, you have zoned out, you're napping. Right? Because it's hard. We're taught that it's some presentation that we're supposed to give and, and, and here's the tracks and here's the verses and here's all the things you got to know and got to have a cheat sheet on your hand. It's probably going to sweat off because you're so nervous before you talk to the person. And it's just, it's awkward. You don't know what to say. You always get trapped and all these different kinds of things. And so we make it this presentation, which is the second scariest thing for any of us to do in our lives. And, and sharing our faith becomes a chore. It's always something just hanging over our heads that we don't want to do. But I remember the first time that I, I discovered the power of a story. Um, when I was a teenager, I was 15, 16 years old. Um, our, our church, uh, I was in Orlando, Florida at the time. We had a really large church. There were a lot of youth, uh, large youth group. And they brought in this organization that was going to teach us how to share our faith using this uh, questionnaire. So I'm not knocking the questionnaire. The questionnaire, tracks, all those different things. They can, be, they can have their place. Uh, but we had this questionnaire we were trained in how to use it. It had questions like, if you were to die tonight, do you uh, know if you would go to heaven or not? That was kind of like the thrust, the big question. And we were trained in how to use this thing. And then what, we, what happened is we were put in teams of three. We did not get to pick our teams because we were teenage boys and girls. And they knew that nothing good would come of that. And so I got on this team with two younger girls, a couple years younger than me. They were both very, very shy. Um, and so here we are. They drop us off in this neighborhood. We've got this thing we're supposed to go around door to door and knock on the door and ask these questions. And if we get through it and, and at the end, we can share our faith and ask them if they want to pray the prayer to receive Christ. And so we get off the, the van and I'm standing here with these two girls and I'm like, OK, we learned kind of the, the verses we're supposed to know. Did you guys learn them? Like because I mean I was just like messing around at this training thing, and so one of the girls was like, "Yeah, I know all four. and I was like, "Okay, well I got like two and a half, so you know I can come in and help you support you on those, um, but you do the talking, right?" And so she was going to do the talking, and so she knocked on the door, and and I don't and I don't I can't remember her name I can't remember who she is. If I did I would send her a message just to say, "Man, you were so brave," and I just like I want to honor that. But in the moment it was so hard it was so embarrassing. Like, I was just like, I wanted to bury my face in the sand. Like, I couldn't, we couldn't get through it. None of us knew what was happening. Like, they just kind of politely closed the door. uh, And we walked down to the end of their driveway. And I just remember going, man, that was so embarrassing. I never want to experience that again. I will do the next one. Not that I would be good at it. Like, I'm just a teenage boy. But if I'm going to get that embarrassed, I want it to be on me, right? And so, so I was like, I will do this. So we, we walk up to the door. I knock on the door. It's this older gentleman. I see teenage people in, in the background there. Uh, and so I started asking these questions, right? And I'm just like, I, and, and I don't know if it's the spirit leading me or what it was, but, but I just kind of went off script. I didn't ask that if you were to die tonight, but I was just like, hey, can I just, can I just like tell you the story of what Christ has done in me? And he's like, sure. And I was like, listen, I know I'm, I'm a 16-year-old teenager, but I see that you have teenagers. And I, I know that you have had way more life experience than me, and I can't really speak into that. But I can tell you how a teenage boy who typically just wants to deal with cell phones and sports and girls and, and the stresses of what clothes and shoes and all of those different kinds of things I'm wearing is, which I'm sure that you deal with on a regular basis, I can tell you how a teenage boy can find peace and comfort outside of those things in Jesus Christ. And I just told him the story of how Christ saved me. And, and at the end of it, I was just like, hey, have you, have you ever experienced anything like that? Have your kids ever experienced anything like that? And he said no, and I was like, would you like to? And like, he said, yes. And I was just like, what? Like, this is, like, this is incredible. Like, and I didn't, I didn't know what to do then. Okay, I'll have somebody call you. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I don't know, man. Uh, and so we like prayed this prayer together. He was telling his teenage uh, kids the story. And, and, and this incredible thing happened. Now, the rest of the day, I went through the entire list of questions because we got points when we got through it. And I was a teenage boy that wanted to win. But in that moment, Right? I understood the power of a story. That when we tell our story of what Christ has done in us, there is a power there that cannot be refuted. People can refute your presentation, your science, your philosophy. But when God has changed a life, it's like looking at somebody who says, I lost 30 pounds on this diet, and you're going, That diet doesn't work. Well, like, the the evidence is in the body. Like, they lost 30 pounds on it, so it clearly worked. And listen to me, the gospel in the life of a believer transforms us with clarity that is revealed in the way that we live. It transforms everything about us, the way we uh, use our money, the way we use our time, the way we use our talents, everything about us changed. The gospel is evident in the life of a believer. And so with Paul's one shot, he tells this story. Now just quickly, give me just a couple more moments to fill this in because he also tells us what to emphasize, So here's what he does. He tells us, he starts off with, with, hey, I'm one of you. I have dealt with the same things. He relates to them. This is just small talk. Then he tells them how Christ has saved him from finding his life in the things that they're seeking life in, mainly the law. And then what God has called him to do, and so why he is where he is and why he is sharing. He's got a new life and new purpose. And so what we see here is that he begins to point out the glory and greatness of God. It's really God's story. Paul's just telling it. It's happened to him. So he says, I was a Jew. I studied under all the right teachers. I did all the right things. Man, I was zealous for the law. Like I was pursuing people of the way to persecute them and imprison them and kill them. I was a part of Stephen's death. I get it. And he says, I was along the way on the road to Damascus. And, and here's what I want to relate it to you. I don't know what you were on the way to, but Paul was on the way to be zealous for the law. You might be on the way or were on the way to build yourself up in success and climbing the corporate ladder. You might have been on your way to finding everything that you long for in a relationship and love. You might have been on your way to gain respect of some sort or or to find yourself in material things that the world has to offer. You might have been on your way to numb yourself from the hopelessness that you felt in all the things that you had pursued before. But in some way, you were on your way. Paul was on his way to the road to Damascus, and God showed up. And God shines like a light, and his greatness shone brighter than the sun at noon. And Paul saw his, his glory, and so he was on his way to be zealous for the law. And so he's telling the people this, listen, I was on my way, and I was zealous and finding life in the same things you are, but God showed up. And God began to move, and he, he showed up, and, I, and all I could think was, who are you, Lord? Because listen, when God shows up and reveals himself, there's no denying who he is. We answer the question in the question. And and Paul's sitting there and he's going, okay, I was on my way. And I don't know what that on my way is for you, but God showed up. There was a but God moment for him. And I don't know what that is for you. I was on my way to do this, but, but a coworker just would not leave me alone. They just kept loving me and telling me they cared for me and inviting to church. And so I was on my way to climb the corporate ladder, but my stinking coworker wouldn't give up. And God showed up when I went and did what my coworker wanted me to do. I was on my way to finding myself in love, but my mom and dad just continued to pray for me every night. They kept letting me go, and it got just annoying enough to where I picked up my Bible and looked into this Jesus thing, and I was on my way to find myself in love but God. See, I don't know what it is for you, but every single one of you has a story where God has transformed your heart. If he has not, then today you can place your faith in him. You can have salvation in him. Paul lays out this this idea, this this reality that he was on his way, but God showed up and with greatness revealed himself. And there's nothing to show greatness or there's nothing that has more glory than God. And Paul sees that and the brightness that he shows up. And it actually blinds Paul for a time and allows him to see what is most important. This is the moment when Paul understands there's one thing I live my life for and it gets clear to everything else. And we have that moment, and it begins to transition what we give glory to and what we see greatness in. See, Paul, like, he was a great man by the world's standards. All the right pedigree. He had, he had studied at all the right places. He lived in all the right places. He's a Roman citizen. He was a Jew. He was an Israelite. He had done all the right things. But when Jesus shows up, the greatness of man pales in comparison, the greatness of materials, the greatness of of careers, the greatness of everything that we might pursue life in pales in comparison. Do we see Jesus as that great? Not just on Sundays, but does he reflect in everything that we do? See, we like to attribute greatness to people in the world. There's a lot of talk, even this last week, about Tom Brady and his greatness of seven titles. And that brings in people like Jordan and LeBron and who's the greatest of all time. And and we like movie stars and we think they're great. And maybe even some of us think pastors are great. But listen to me. John Piper is not great in the eyes of God. God's not impressed with him. God is not impressed with our president. He's not impressed with Tom Brady. He's not impressed with any movie star that we can think of. He is most glorified in all things. He is the one who we are created to worship. And when we see him, we begin to know what is most clearly what we spend our lives for. And that begins to define everything else we do. And so therefore, Paul said, the only thing that I could think to do in that moment was to say, who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Because when we come to know God, the only question that we have is, God, okay, you are clearly the one that I need to give glory to. You are the greatest thing. You define all that I am. The only thing that is left to know is, what do you want me to do? And because he has his eyes set on that, it gives him the courage to do all that God has called him to. It makes it clear for him. That was his response in verse 10. Verse 10. So Jesus tells him to go to Damascus, Ananias will be there, he'll receive his sight, he was baptized, and then he was told to go to the Gentile people because of all that he had done to the Jews. So he stands before all of these people, he tells them the story, there is one who is great. There's one who has worthy of all glory, and he revealed himself to me. I was on my way, but God showed up and radically transformed my life, and then he told me what to do, and I can do no other. It's why I'm here. I am not against what you believe, I am showing you that there is a fulfillment in Jesus Christ to the law that you are living. I love you, and I care for you. This, what I'm teaching, is it contradicting? It is fulfilling. And listen to me, when you share your story, you can do so with great confidence. Because when people are getting to know you, you are filling in the blanks for them if they do not know Jesus on everything they are actually looking for, whether they know it or not. You're giving them everything they long for. And this is what I want us to see, that as Paul does this, it's not a chore for him, it's a privilege, it's not something hanging over his head. It's his life's calling. And for us, we have to understand that a part of the reason that Jesus came and lived is so that we could tell his story. A part of the reason that Jesus lived perfectly for you is so we could tell his story. He was beaten and hung on a cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then cried out, it is finished so that we could tell his story. He rose from the grave so that we could be his people and tell his story. He leaves the church here for a time so that we can be a part of an unending movement of people who tell his story through our lives. And it is a great honor and privilege to do that where we live and where we work and where we play to the greatest of our ability for maximum impact in what God has called us to. Who are you sharing your story with? Who do you need to intentionally pray for? How might God use you? Because our greatest joy is tied up and we're only robbing ourselves of joy when we are not doing what God has called us to do. So our greatest joy is tied up in revealing him in all that we are. Who might we share with?